Yeah, so like Chris said, we are going to be going through Psalm 32. So if you would open your Bibles there or your phone, whatever you need, whatever you prefer for your reading pleasure. One of the things that I love about the Psalms uh, is the emotions that come from it. Uh, if you want real life, read the Psalms. Uh, if you want to see something that is going to be applicable to how you are feeling, how you are acting, how you are responding to life, the Psalms are a great indicator for us. And, and it is just another picture that the Bible is relevant for us today. Uh, we look at God's Word as authoritative. We look at it as the Word of God, breathed out by God. But it is also relevant to the things that we're going through on a daily basis. And so we need God's Word not only for the foundation of our faith, not only to understand who God is, His character, but also to speak to us in the situations that we're going through in life, the things that we feel, the things that we respond to, how we react in certain situations. So I hope that the Psalms, as kind of the soundtrack of life, I think was the, the title of what you guys are doing, I hope that that has been encouraging to you in this season. And one of the real-life topics that we see in Psalms is the topic of forgiveness, and to define forgiveness so that we're on the same page, forgiveness is an active and intentional decision to absorb the cost of a debt that is owed to you by releasing the debtor as if they owe you nothing. So you have been sinned against, someone has done something to you, they have put a debt, they owe you something, and you say, no, I will actually take that debt on myself and then treat you as if you never had any debt with me in the first place. That's a picture of what forgiveness is. And I've titled this sermon, as you can see, Freedom in Forgiveness. And I think that there are many people that are looking for just that. In a tough year, in a tough last two years, we are looking for freedom. We are looking for um, new life. We are looking for hope. And that hope and that freedom is found in forgiveness. H have you ever been hurt so bad that you thought it would be impossible to forgive? Have you ever hurt someone so bad that you thought it would be impossible to be forgiven? Are you experiencing currently a friend or a family member who has abandoned their faith, living in a way that constantly brings pain and hurt to you? That has the collateral damage of sin built up over the years to the point where you don't see possibility of change, either for the other person or for yourself? How can we have healthy, God-honoring relationships between broken people when wounds of sin are fresh and they're deep? Well, friends, there is hope for us. There is freedom in forgiveness, both for the forgiven and for the forgiver. Now, now if you're watching the Olympics late one night and you wake up your wife from cheering too loudly for Team USA as they win a relay race, Forgiveness can be a relatively quick process. But, but if we're talking about adultery, if we're talking about abuse, deception, years of sin built up on top of each other, this is going to take some time. The bigger the damage, the bigger the pain, the longer the process. And I think the more people that need to help and be involved, but forgiveness is possible for any person, for any situation, at any time. Forgiveness is a process that does three things that will break down in detail. It acknowledges sin that's committed against the person. It accepts repentance of sin and confession of sin, and then it assists in change from sin. So asking for forgiveness and repentance 
gives freedom from our past sin, allows us to live differently, but granting forgiveness enables us to live in freedom and love in spite of the sin and damage that has happened to us. So all that is the backdrop for what we're going to look at at Psalm 32. We've got a great example with David and God on what it looks like to experience forgiveness, what it looks like to ask for forgiveness, what it looks like to grant forgiveness. So let's read the word of the Lord together. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will, trans- I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, with which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many, the, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Four big takeaways for us this morning from this psalm. One, we all really, really, really need forgiveness from God. Second, the pathway to forgiveness from God is a pathway of repentance. Third thing, we have good news. God forgives. And then the fourth thing, the application of the takeaway for us is we should also forgive the way that God has forgiven us. So, just to give you, the, give you the roadmap of where we're going, first point for us, we need God's forgiveness. We really, really need God's forgiveness. Every single one of us. Verse 1, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Why do we need forgiveness? We need forgiveness because we sin. Sin is outright rejection of God's authority in our lives. Wayne Grudem defines sin as any failure to conform to the moral law of God in act, attitude, or nature. It's missing the mark. It's a failure to live up to the people or the person that God has called us to be and a failure to submit to the laws and good news that he has given us. And it's a reality for every one of us as people, both in nature, who we are, and in action, what we do. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the consequence of sin is punishment and separation from God as evidenced by Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis 3. They sinned. They hid themselves from God. The punishment of that sin was that God took them out of the garden separate from his presence. He was still with them, still loved them, but there was a separation that happened as a, result of his, as, as a result of their sin. And sin is pervasive. It is nasty, vile, damaging, quick-spreading, incredibly contagious. Delta variant has got nothing on sin. Small sins stack on top of each other to become overwhelming. 
you can commit sin while trying to deal with the sin of past. We need forgiveness because our sin is really bad and we've got no shot to fix it ourselves, but we do try to fix it ourselves, don't we? There was, a, there was a, a person, old western town, rides in on his horse and he noticed this row of trees kind of coming into the town. And what he noticed was that there were these arrows that were pointed on each tree kind of coming forward and they were perfectly in the middle of a bullseye. Well, the rider was impressed and so he went in to the local saloon and asked, who's the marksman in the town? I would like to meet this man. And they go, the marksman? Well, the bullseyes that are in the middle of the tree. He goes, oh, that's, that's the town uh, jokester. Uh, he, what he did is he shot arrows into the trees and then painted the bullseye around the arrow to hit the middle of the bullseye. And don't we do the same thing? This is how we deal with our mistakes and sin. We shoot and then we try to paint the bullseye around it. We try to say, no, I did hit the mark. I did hit it perfectly. We try to diminish our faults and failures. We lie to ourselves. We lie to others that we are without fault and actually correct in everything we do. And when that doesn't work, then we say that everyone can just have their own bullseye. Everyone can have their own truth, which means that everyone hits a bullseye whenever they want, unless a mass amount of people make a spontaneous decision that you didn't hit their bullseye in their timing. The reality is, is that even with all that stuff, which is exhausting, the reality is, is that deep down, we all know that we fall short. We know that the world is broken and hurting because of sin and in pain. And that is a direct result of the original sin of Adam in Genesis 3, and then all the sin that we have brought to the table ourselves. And this passage speaks to forgiveness and why we need it because it is a covering effect for us. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I've got four kids, as you guys heard earlier, and whenever they fall down, regardless of whether there is blood or not, a Band-Aid is needed. I don't understand it. I don't know why. I should have bought stock in Band-Aid uh, before I had children. But my kids will come and they will be hurting and they will have pain and occasionally there will be the slightest bit of blood on their knee and the band-aid makes everything better. And it does in many respects. One, I think it's a bit of a placebo effect for my kids, but the fact is, is that there's a covering so that the wound can heal over time. It's not exposed to further damage, not exposed to further pain. There's a healing process. And that covering sin is similar with forgiveness. The sin is being dealt with. It is being healed. It is forgiven. It will get better. Does that take time? Sure. But is it getting worked out? Yes. Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. So forgiveness is good and desirable for us. But notice the point that we made in the beginning. We don't only need forgiveness in and of itself we don't simply need to forgive ourselves. We need forgiveness from God. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. God is the standard. God is the authority. God is God, and we are not. And so God is omniscient, which means that he knows all of your and all of my stuff, all of our sin. He is omnipotent, which means he has the power and the authority to punish all of our stuff. He is immutable, which means he will always hate the sin and stuff that we commit against him. 
God is holy, which means he will always stand for what is right and true, no matter the circumstances in a person's life. And so it's cool if I make a mistake and Pastor Chris forgives me for something, or my wife forgives me for something, but at the end of the day, the most important thing that I need is forgiveness from God. We need God's forgiveness. Verse two, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And look at this, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The, the, the psalm starts to take a little bit of a turn. Now, now, who is the author of this psalm? David, I saw a couple of you voice it, like very quietly, not wanting to be heard, but you got the right answer. Nice job, well done. David, this is David, king of Israel. Now what sin might he be hiding? Why is he saying, blessed is the one in whom has no deceit? Well, if you know the story, or you remember it, 2 Samuel 11, King David meets this woman, Bathsheba. And he lusts after her, sinning against God, sinning against her, her husband Uriah, breaking the 10th commandment, you shall not covet. Then he calls for her, sleeps with her, sinning against God, her, her husband Uriah, breaking the seventh and eighth commandment, you shall not steal, you shall not commit adultery. Bathsheba sends words saying, hey, I'm, I'm pregnant, I think it's you, you're the only person because my husband's at war, and so he tries to cover it up by bringing Uriah back, trying to get him to sleep with her so that he can get her pregnant. And so he sins against God, her and Uriah and the army, breaking the ninth commandment, you shall not give false testimony. And then Uriah refuses to sleep with his wife. He's staying a faithful soldier. And so David sends word to the commander, Joab, and says, put him in a spot where he's going to be killed. Put him in a spot where he will surely die. He sins against God, Bathsheba, Uriah, the army and nation of Israel by breaking the sixth commandment you shall not murder that escalated really quickly did it not and so david is saying in whose spirit there is no deceit now we could all look at david and see that sin i'm sure that it is a story that you are at least somewhat familiar with and, you, and it would be easy to say mm -mm, no no shouldn't have done that david but honestly looking at my life I have multiple times in my life that if I had the ability to, I would absolutely take back what I've done. Every single person has five minutes or five hours or five days or five years or five decades of total regret, sinning, not submitting to God, living in uh, rebellion of Him. We all have it. We're all messed up people. And notice the language that David uses in verse 3. This is why it's important for us to have forgiveness. Verse 3, for when I kept silent, rather than giving it to God, he tries to cover it up himself. In the garden, Adam and Eve do the same thing. Genesis 3, they eat the fruit, they realize what they've done, and so what do they do? They put some clothes on, they sew some leaves together, and then they try to hide from the presence of the Lord. Don't we do the same thing? Let's say that you're driving up to the outlet malls and uh, you, you're going and you're late and you're trying, to get, you're trying to get a present for a friend or something like that and you happen to be going 10 miles over the speed limit and you don't really notice because you're answering a quick text from your friend. 
And then all of a sudden, not that you guys have ever done that. I've never done that for sure. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden you see right next to you, you see the Snohomish County Sheriff, right? And so what do you do? You immediately drop the phone. You get to 11 and 2. You're looking straight ahead. You maybe fix the mirror and you just hope that no one's noticed, right? We all do that. We all do that. We fall short, and then when we know that we are caught, or when we feel like we are caught, we immediately try to say, nope, wasn't me. Wasn't me. I'm right there. Oh, I'm sorry about that. We all do it because we are jacked up people. Even when we know that there is forgiveness offered to us from God, we run and try to act like we have it all together, like we don't have sin in our lives, like we don't need Jesus. And living like that, friends, is hard hard. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. David is expressing some real incredible guilt and pain from holding on to his sin. Show of hands, how many of you guys have read the book, The Scarlet Letter? Okay, okay, decent amount of you. Uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, here's the, here's the highlights or watched it read it. We have this young woman, Hester Prynne, who has to wear an A on her chest for the sin of adultery, the scarlet letter, and she wears it on the outside. Everyone sees it, and it's like, shame on you. And throughout the story, there is this mystery and this question of who the other person is, because it takes two people to sleep with one another. And in the middle of the book, we read that the young preacher, Dimsdale, had cut an A into his chest, scratched it, into his chest while Hester Prynne had it on the outside. They were both guilty of the sin. They both had an A on their chest. It's just that one was hidden and one was clear to all to see. And at the end of the book, the freedom for Dimsdale was kind of showing everyone his letter before he died in the arms of Hester. You see what David says here? My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. I think that there are things in our lives that we never, ever want people to see. And the fact is, is that we have sin in our lives. We are all human. We are all messed up, broken people. We have transgression. It is true. Whether it is secret or whether it is public, and God is saying in this psalm, we need to deal with those things. And if we do not deal with those things, God will lovingly put pressure on us to deal with them ourselves. Look at verse 4. For day and night, David says, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David tried to hide, and so God lovingly put some pressure on him. And if you're going to try to act like you have it all together, God will faithfully and patiently and lovingly just kind of put, put some pressure on you to get you to a spot where you cry, uncle. I love to wrestle with my kids and, uh, and we'll wrestle and we'll have a great time. And occasionally I will get to the spot where I just say, you know what, okay, I'm, do I'm done with wrestling. This is no longer wrestling. Uh, this is me exerting my will on my children. And so um, I will go and with my, I'm bigger, I am stronger than my kids. And so when I want to, I put my weight on them and they can't do anything. And then I will make the decision, you know what, it is no longer wrestling time. It is now tickling time. And I will start to tickle my children. And they will go nuts. But they have a code word that will stop the carnage that is happening to them. 
They have to say, Daddy dearest, please stop. They have to get through the whole thing. They can't go, please stop. They can't go, stop. They can't go, Daddy, stop. They have to go, Daddy dearest, please stop. In the middle of it. And then it's over. It's done. It's all good. It is the same thing for us. God will continually put pressure on us. If we continue to resist and try to run from God or act like everything is okay, God will continually put pressure on us and in our lives until we relent, until we say, okay, God, please stop. I give up. We all need God's forgiveness. So the question for us this morning, a simple question, is there something that you are currently trying to cover up? Is there something that's going on in your life that you're trying to say like, nope, didn't happen. Nope, it's not a big deal. I was actually right. I was justified in doing X. God knows my stuff. God knows you perfectly. He is with you all the time. And when you sin, you are going directly against him. You need his forgiveness. We all need God's forgiveness. But there is a pathway to get there. And that's the second point for us. The path to forgiveness is repentance. Now, what is repentance? We've, decide, we've defined forgiveness as an intentional decision to absorb the cost of the debt that's owed to you and then treating the person as if they'd never owed you anything. Repentance is a process of change where you realize your sin, you say sorry for, you, for your sin, and then you faithfully change from sin. But repentance is a turning. If I am walking to the right when I should be walking left, I need to stop, consider what I've done, turn, and start walking the other way. Repentance is not, oh man, I feel terrible about what I'm doing. I feel super bad about what I'm doing. Repentance is not, oh, I can't believe I've done what I've done. I'm a terrible person. I'm going to wallow in misery for the rest of my life over the things that I've done. No, repentance is, I've done something wrong. I'm going to turn. I'm going to go the other way. That's repentance. And repentance shows up in three phases. To consider, to confess, and to change. So we've got this repentance tree here. So first one is consider. These are the roots of the tree. You have to think critically and understand your sin and its effects. These are the roots of the tree. No one thinks about the roots of the tree. No one notices the roots of the tree. And yet this is what gives life to the tree. This is why we get to enjoy the fruit from a tree because the roots are alive and deep and growing all the time. This is what makes your repentance stay long term. And look at what David does in verse 5. He goes, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. Rather than covering up his sin, though he did that in the past, he acknowledged his sin. He stopped covering up his stuff. He said, no, like what I did was wrong. And to consider is to think critically on what sin has done and how it has damaged your relationship with God and how it has damaged your relationship with other people. 
And, and again, this psalm, incredibly serious sins David had done that compounded, ended up impacting the entire nation. David had deeply wounded the people that he oversaw and had sinned against in his relationship with God. Look at what he says in Psalm 51. He says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me against you. You only, God, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Now, David is not saying that he didn't sin against other people, but he's saying that primarily every sin that we commit is against God, totally against him. And he thought through the effect of his sin. And we need to consider how our sin affects us and God and our standing with the people that we've directly and indirectly sinned against. So a few questions just to think through if we're in this repentance process. One, how has my sin affected my relationship with God? What has that done here? In that vertical relationship between me and the Lord, how has my sin affected that? Second thing, who specifically has my sin affected? A sin is like a ripple effect. You throw a rock in the middle of a pond, there's a ripple effect to that, and there's a ripple effect to our sin. So what has my sin done, and who has it affected around me? How has this sin affected my relationship with other people? What did I sinfully want when I did what I did? What has been the result of my sin? I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. Friends, this process is messy and hard and embarrassing and humbling. But this is where the gospel is. Because when you're willing to get into the dirt and willing to get into the roots of what you have done against God and against others, that's all of a sudden God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his kindness to you takes a whole different shape. My, my life changed when I, res, when I realized that my sin, that, that, the, that the things that I was looking at in the middle of my marriage, that the things that I was saying against people, that the competition that I had against other people and the way that I would cut other people at the knees, when I realized the depth of that sin and how much I needed forgiveness, all of a sudden God's forgiveness took on a whole new light for me. So we've got consider. The next one is we have to confess our sins. Confession. You must openly bring your sin out into the light. And out of, out of the roots of good and honest consideration comes good and humble confession. You can't have a fruit tree without a trunk. Confession alone is not repentance, but true repentance always includes an honest and humble confession. This is complete without excuses or justification. Look again at David. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. No excuses. He didn't blame his past, he didn't blame his upbringing. He, he didn't blame a condition or say, this is my personality. If, if this thing had happened, then I wouldn't have done this. No, he just, he just owned it. He didn't hide anything. He went before the Lord and humbly admitted his faults. And confession is not, hey, I'm sorry that you feel that way. 
Or, I'm sorry, I know I got caught. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Or, I'm sorry that you made me do this. Or, I'm sorry, but. True confession is, hey, I need to ask for your forgiveness. I am so sorry for the sin that I committed against you and God. The Bible says this about the thing that I have done to you, and I need to ask for your forgiveness. I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me of my sin? So the question for us in this confession time is, one, have I owned 100% of my sin? Do I try to justify my actions against other people, or do I say, no, 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 I've fallen short, and I need to own that? Conflict is always a two-way street when you have conflict between two broken people, right? So it's never 100-0. Might be 90-10, might be 50-50, whatever, but am I willing to own 100% of my sin and seek reconciliation with someone else? Have I gone to God with my sin? Have I gone to the people that I have sinned against and asked for their forgiveness? Have I confessed that to them? That's confession. And then the fruit. What everyone wants, what everyone sees, what everyone notices, this is the third one. This is change. This is change. Uh, uh, Repentance is not simply well-crafted thoughts or words. It is a change of behavior. You consider with your mind, you confess with your heart, and you change with your actions. I think about what Paul said in Ephesians 4. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Again, this is a turning from sin. This is a putting off of the old self and putting on the new self. And if you read the rest of Ephesians 4, you would see an exhaustive list of put-offs and put-ons. The transformation is obvious. So rather than being known as a liar, you're known as a truth-teller. Instead of being a selfish thief, you become a generous worker. A A habit of words that hurt turn into a habit of words that build up. A lifestyle of anger and bitterness and gossip turns into kindness and tenderness and forgiveness. It's change. And that's what real biblical repentance looks like. And it just takes some time for that fruit to grow and ripen. And so our change takes some time to see and observe. But that is what we do. We consider the effect of sin. We confess our sin openly. And then we change from our sin. And we see that David did that. Man, the Psalms are for us today. absolutely relevant to the things that we go through and the things that we're doing. What's that thing in your mind that you're like, man, I might need to repent of that one. Man, I might need to get right with God on that one. I might need to go to that person and go talk with them about that thing. We need forgiveness. We need God's forgiveness. And we have that pathway of forgiveness through repentance and then we have a promise of forgiveness. If it just ended with like we're jacked up and so we need to figure out a bunch of things to do, there's not a lot of hope in that. But we have a promise here in this passage and this is really where we get our hope from. Third thing, God forgives. Can, can I get an amen for that? Amen. God, for, thanks Gabe. God forgives. God forgives. God 
the passage says at the beginning, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. God not only takes away your sin, but he counts you as righteous. Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. In verse 5, God forgave David's sin. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you, God, forgave the iniquity of my sin. Now, quick side note, let's remember, David still had consequences for his sin. Forgiveness does not necessarily take away the consequences of the sin that we commit. David lost his son. He had rebellion from his other family. He had to flee the nation. The rest of David's life was super hard after 2 Samuel 11 super tough but he was forgiven by God and God does the same with us he takes our sin that is exposed in confession he'll even draw it out and then he covers it with forgiveness he says I'm not going to hold this over your head anymore I'm not going to define you this way I'm not going to be ashamed of you I am ready to move forward Like repentance, there are three phases to forgiveness. We have to acknowledge sin. We have to acknowledge that sin has actually happened. We have to accept confession. And then we need to assist in change. So we acknowledge that sin's happened. We accept confession and we assist in change. First one, roots of the tree. We acknowledge that sin has been committed against us. It says that God forgave the iniquity of my sin. God didn't ignore the sin. He didn't excuse the sin. He forgave it. He didn't say no big deal. He didn't say, oh, I didn't really even see it that way. It's like not that big of a deal for me. He didn't say, oh, I knew that you were tired. I knew that you had a lot of stress going on. It's okay. He said, no, like this was sin, but I forgive you. There's a lot of hope in that. There's not a lot of hope in like, it's okay, it's fine. There's not a lot of hope in like, I know that you were tired. There's a lot of hope in, yeah, I forgive you for that. Now, because now we can move forward. Because forgiveness makes the choice to acknowledge sin for what it is, absorb that cost, intentionally put it aside, and then walk in relationship. This is what God does for us. He doesn't sweep our sins under the rug. He deals with them directly. He pays the price. Let's remember the definition. Forgiveness is an active and intentional decision to absorb the cost of a debt owed to you by releasing the debtor as if they owe you nothing. Now, a couple of years ago, a man by the name of Robert Smith, he gave the commencement speech to 396 students at the Morehouse College in Atlanta. Historically all-black college and um, all-black, all-men college, and he made this promise to the graduating class at the end of his speech. He said, you know what, graduating class of 2019, I'm going to put some, fuel, uh, some fuel in your tank, and I'm going to pay off all of your student loan debt to the tune of $34 million. And some of you are like, I wish that I had gone to Morehouse <laughs> College. Unbelievable, right? Paid off the whole thing. Wiped out all of their debt so that they could start new, so that they could start with opportunity to be able to succeed in life. Friends, that sounds amazing. That sounds so nice. That sounds like freedom. It sounds like we're not chained down by the debt of whatever we have going on, right? But God has forgiven us of a much greater debt than the student loans or the sins that we've amassed over time. God paid for it all and he did it with his son, Jesus. That's the gospel. 
We, we believe that God is holy, that we are not, and so God sent redemption to his people, right? God sent Jesus to be born, to live the perfect life that you and I have no chance of living, have already messed it up. Jesus lived it perfectly for 33 years, tempted as we are, yet without sin. And what did he get as a reward for that? He died. He was betrayed. He was rejected. He was mocked. He was left. He was hung and killed for us. And that was the plan the whole time. Because Jesus would pay the penalty for your sin and my sin. And the sin of all the brothers and sisters that we have all around the world that have put their faith in Christ. Jesus paid it all for us through his life and his death. And then he defeated death and defeated sin by raising up from the grave on the third day. And so because of that, we have hope. We have forgiveness. We have freedom. God did it for us with his son Jesus. And that was a price to be paid. God doesn't say no big deal to our sin. God covers our sin. God forgives our sin with the blood of his son. God acknowledges our sin. And then God accepts our repentance and our confession. Forgiveness accepts confession of sin. David confesses and God forgives. Pretty straightforward stuff. And Jesus gives us that framework also in his ministry. Luke 17. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, he turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Luke 17, three through four. If they repent, you forgive. Pretty straightforward process. And some of you might be thinking, though, but how do you determine what is real repentance? Like, did they have that tree diagram that they thought through before they went and said sorry to me? Do they know and consider how much they've hurt me? How can we judge the validity or sincerity of the person that has just shown themselves to be pretty untrustworthy? What if the words seem perfect, polished, but then the offense happens a week later or a year later? What if they stumble over the words? They don't seem to have put in as much work or as much time into the confession as you would have hoped or wanted. I, I am so thankful that God forgives me when I sin and when I confess really poorly. I mean, you, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I'll have this prayer time with God, and I'm like, God, I'm just so tired, and you know the thing that I did. Can you just, kind of, can we be good? And, and God is so faithful and so loving to forgive us and to accept our half-hearted, half-witted, half-serious confession. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to forgive and sticks to his word. He's just to forgive. We already saw that because Jesus paid the complete price for our sins on the cross. And so we go to God and we confess imperfectly. And we make a mess of that too. And God covers us. It's a covering and a gracious act of forgiveness. God not only stops there, he not only acknowledges our sin, he not only accepts our confession, he assists in our change. Forgiveness assists with a changed life. 
when God forgives, he not only gives us the opportunity to change, but an expectation and a help for us to live differently. Look at verse 7. You are a hiding place for me. Man. After David was running and covering up all his stuff and acting like he had everything under control, right? As he, just, he's weary. He's broken. He's hurting. And then all of a sudden, verse 7, we get to, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And then God gets in here and says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God forgives David for going the wrong way and then patiently, lovingly, and intentionally shows him the right path. There is instruction. There is teaching. There is counsel. There is oversight. There is friendship. That is bearing someone's burden. Galatians 6, 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. God does that with us. And can I just say, no matter what you walked in here with this morning, no matter what thing you feel a little heavy with, the thing that I've just kind of been consistently kind of just poking you with, and sorry, not sorry about that, can I say God is with you and that's a good thing? You might be thinking, oh my gosh, God is with me and like I've done all this stuff. What do I do here? No, God is with you and he's with you all the way. Like you, you might think that you've done too much, you've run too far, you've taken yourself out of God's gracious reach, but God doesn't leave you. He stays with you. He knows your sin. He has and will accept your confession, and he will help you with change. He forgives. He's in the entire process for you. This is good news. God forgives your sin. God forgives my sin. And we have to just thank the Lord for that. Something that we can thank God for every day. God, thank you that you have forgiven me of my sin against you. Now, what's the implication and application for us? I think it's just we are also called to forgive. Now, some of you might have been thinking about things that you have done against other people. And some of you might have been thinking about the hurt that has been done to you over time through conversation, through deceit, through scandal, whatever that might be. And that thing is real. And it was sin. And it was wrong. And it does need to be dealt with, but it's dealt with through forgiveness. There is freedom in forgiveness for us because we get the opportunity to fully acknowledge the sin that's been done to us and then we get to move forward in a God-honoring way. Forgiveness is a gift from God because it releases us from sinful responses. Now, we might want to respond sinfully when someone sins against us. You talk about my mama that way and I'm gonna do this to you, right? I get it. I've done it many times. But being sinned against does not give us license to get even or settle the score or hold on to it because forgiveness does not and will not hold on to sin. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. 
Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, there is a danger in our hearts when we delay or tarry in forgiveness. We put ourselves in a position to easily send back. Now, now if you're here and you're like, hey, Jeff, it's just too hard. I'm not going to do it. Don't want to do it. Uh, If you want to be bitter, don't forgive. If you enjoy wrath and anger and the effect that that has on you and your family, be unforgiving. If you really just want to scream at the top of your lungs or punch a pillow or tell the world what that person did to you, or maybe you want to make them pay by systematically going to their friends and letting them know what happened in vivid detail, then don't forgive. And if you want to remain in bondage, over the sin that should not have happened to you but did happen to you, if you want to remain in bondage with that sin, don't forgive. But friends, God offers us a better way, does he not? Rather than bitterness, wrath, or anger, we are called to be kind to one another and tenderhearted. To be kind and to be tenderhearted is a choice. It's it's the choice to put away the opportunity or the leverage that you have to get even or make the other person hurt. We actually have a call to be compassionate to the person who has sinned against us. But how do we do that? What if the hurt is real? What if the pain is intense? What if it's been going on for years? How do you just be kind or forgive or be tender? verse 32, just as God in Christ forgave you. We are never called to do something that God hasn't already done for us. We see it in Psalm 32, we see it in Ephesians 4, and we respond in kind. That's the gospel. When you forgive someone, you get a fresh reminder of how God forgave you. And you might be saying, oh Jeff, you do not even know the first thing about this. I have not sinned against God in the way that they have sinned against me. And I go, yeah, okay. You're probably right. But you have sinned against God. And your sin did necessitate Jesus dying so that you could be forgiven. And you withholding forgiveness. I'm not talking about trust. I'm not talking about like an easy, cozy relationship. I'm talking about forgiveness. For you to withhold forgiveness. That is another thing that Jesus had to die for. Because it's sinful to withhold forgiveness from someone else. Jesus had to die for my smallest sin so that I could be forgiven. And and that's not to minimize the pain or the hurt that you have from being sinned against. But forgiveness helps us remember what God did for us in Jesus. So when the hurt is real, when the pain is intense, when the memories come back vividly, you can keep your eyes on the cross as you walk forward in your forgiveness. And there's freedom there. There's real freedom there. Friends, there is freedom in forgiveness. We all need forgiveness because we are sinners and we are broken. And that pathway, the way that we can get that forgiveness is by repenting, by simply saying sorry and living differently. And the promise is that God forgives us of our sin. The truth is that he has done it perfectly in Jesus. Jesus paid it all for us so that we could be forgiven. And because God has done all this for us, we extend forgiveness to the people 
that have sinned against us. And we find incredible freedom in that. Oh, the Psalms are very relevant for us today. Verse 6. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Hop down to verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many are the sorrows of the people who cover up their sin, who hold on to bitterness, who hold on to wrath, who stay angry. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let's pray.